I've got a question. This, these initials, what is VFR? VFR is what? Visual flight rules. So was that pilot flying by visual flight rules? No. All right, so the next, next one is IFR, so instrument flight rules. And so then I'll give you the full uh, definition there. VFR, so visual flight rules. Next slide then is IFR, instrument flight rules. Um, and that is, that's kind of unnerving. Now, normally, those of us who fly commercial airlines, we don't really have an idea of what's going on in the cockpit. Um, it's very, they're very sophisticated uh, uh, aircraft, and so there's a, even a lot more uh, things that they have at their disposal than being in a small plane. I've been up in a small plane, but not in the middle of a storm. Uh, we went up outside of uh, Lynchburg, or kind of over Lynchburg, Virginia, years ago. A friend of ours who's a pilot has a plane, and... Uh, we didn't fly through the clouds, but he did shut off one of the engines while we were up there just for kicks. I mean, I don't know why he did that, but he just shut off one of the engines. Like, okay, thank you. Uh, but it was sunny and clear, and so we could kind of always see, you know, where we were. Uh, but I, I really would not feel the, the most comfortable being in a small four to six passenger plane and flying through clouds, having no idea what's up, what's down, where, you know, do I go right, left, where's the runway? Uh, but that's why there are instrument flight rule flying. So you have to fly just by what you're seeing, just by the numbers, just by the gauges. Uh, you have communication oftentimes with, uh, you know, with the air traffic controllers and things like that. Uh, but that's similar to our life. We often, we, we like to fly by visual flight rules, okay? And we're going to see in Hebrews, uh, that's, that's, there's many ways that the Bible terms that, but one of them is by sight rules, okay? By living by sight. What can we see? What is before me? What makes sense? How can I figure this out in my life? So, so by sight rules. Uh, but there's another way that we see in Scripture and uh, so BSR, by sight rules. And that, another way that we see in Scripture is not by sight rules. Not by sight rules. Now, why are we taking a pause uh, from First Peter to go through some of this? Well, um, several of you in your last semester of undergraduate studies, maybe even graduate studies at Kennesaw State University, as of graduation day in May, just a few months away, many of you have no idea what lies after that, you don't know what job you're going to get. You don't know if you're going to stay in the metro Atlanta area. You don't know if you'll still even be in the United States of America or another country. So you are quickly approaching the clouds of life. You're quickly approaching a time where it's going to be, it's going to be the, the not by sight rules of living. And who will you trust in and how will you be guided forward? Some of you are facing financial difficulties and relational difficulties, health difficulties in life. Your doctor may not even know what is the best treatment plan for you. So you are entering a time in your life where you can't figure it out, the doctor can't figure it out, and it's not by sight rule living. Who will you trust in? Some of you may be even thinking about, boy, I've learned a lot about Christ, and this seems like it's the truth, and the Bible seems like it's trustworthy, but I just can't figure out, I just can't see how the long-term journey, spiritual journey, what that would look like. And so that's scary to you. But I want to encourage you to, this is the big step of faith. The not by sight rules living. Of not looking at just what we can figure out and just what we can see. Now as a, a church family, as I mentioned two, two weeks ago, we are being 
led through or kind of through the clouds in a sense of, you know, for a little over two years now, we've known every Sunday we can come to Northwest Classical Academy and uh, meet together and gather. And this has been an awesome space and God has really blessed in many different ways. Uh, But as of May 31st, as I mentioned two weeks ago, we were informed that because of the expansive construction projects and remodeling in this room, the cafeteria, the gym, and even outside of the building, we have to be out. Okay, so this, this is the not-by-sight rules living as even a church family. Will you get discouraged? Will I get discouraged? But I'm sure I'm tempted. It, it, it's, it's somewhat you know, unnerving to go, wow, okay, what's next, God? This already is our eighth location since we started in January of 2020. COVID had a huge part in that, as many of you know and followed along with us as we bounced from location to location as venues closed and public school districts wouldn't allow churches to meet in their buildings. But we're coming up to a time again where it's like, okay, Lord, we can't really figure it out yet. We don't know all the ways of how you're going to do this. So whether it's individually or corporately as a church, I have been super encouraged as I've been looking at Hebrews 11 and then next week, Lord willing, we'll look also in 2 Corinthians as Paul uses some, a different type of metaphor of how do we do this? How, what is active dependence? Uh, we're going to look on it on display in the hall of faith, so in Hebrews chapter 11, but also in jars of clay, which means nothing more than us, human beings, uh, people that are broken. Let's look first then, active dependence on display in the hall of of faith, Hebrews chapter 11. Now, I don't think the original hearers of Hebrews would have used this term. I don't think they would have said, oh, boy, you're talking about Abraham and Moses and Abel and uh, Joseph and Isaac and Jacob. This is the hall of faith. I don't think they would have used that term, but for those of us in, in America, at least, the hall of fame is a very common term. There are many different halls of fame around our nation. Uh, if you are a, a sports fan, there is a hall of fame for basketball, football, soccer, baseball, softball, volleyball, tennis, wrestling, golf, hockey, horse racing, horse racing and jockeys. So if, you, if that's, if that's kind of your hobby, you've got a lot of places you can go visit and go to all those different hall of fames. Now, you may say, sports really isn't my thing, but maybe entertainment is. Well, there's a hall of fame for country music, dance, gospel music, southern gospel, rock and roll. What about this? Anybody quilters in the room? Two? Anybody else? All right, I've got good news, Melissa and Marie. There is a hall of fame for quilters. In Marion, have you been there? Oh, she knows of it. Okay, great. So in Marion, Indiana, there's a Hall of Fame for quilters. So that is a familiar term for us. We think, yeah, Hall of Fame. It's where things or people or, you know, cool things are on display of the past. Hebrews 11, then, is a Hall of Faith. We see uh, lives that are on display, people who lived by faith. Let's look at the context then of the Hall of Faith, or Hebrews chapter 11. We're kind of jumping into uh, the middle of the book, or even towards the end of the book. So we don't, we don't have the luxury of you know, taking the first 10 chapters and doing an in-depth study and, and building up to Hebrews 11.1. So I'm going to try to give you a, a quick overview. You know, where are we at? Where are we at in this, in this flight path um, of you know, going into the clouds? What, what does it look like? Well, the historical backdrop, first of all. Hebrews is considered to be an epistle or a letter. It's a little bit different in that we're not exactly sure who authored 
this. I mean, obviously, when it was first authored, it was known, but that was, that's been lost in, in just records. Uh, it's not included in the letter itself, as many of the other epistles do. When Paul and Peter write, often they'll include their own name and say to who it's to. But this is an epistle, um, a letter, and we're not exactly sure who the author is, but it's been used by God uh, through the centuries. Um, and it was probably written sometime between 60 A.D., and 70 AD. Why? Well, Hebrews contrasts many things from the old covenant, many things uh, before Christ, the sacrificial system, uh, and, and the priests, and all of these things. But there is no mention in the book of Hebrews or in the letter of Hebrews about the destruction of the temple that happened in 70 AD. If the temple had already been destroyed, it's very likely that, they would, that it would have been included because even that would have been further support of Christ is better. Christ is, is the fulfillment. The temple has already been destroyed, but there's no mention. So most likely between 60 and 70 AD. Why is that important? Well, Nero, the Roman emperor, during that time frame began his intense persecution of believers. And so, as we see in Hebrews, there, there is persecution that's going on. Notice Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had, verse 34, for you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Now, we read that, and it's like, oh yeah, joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Wait, what? I would not, I would not, that's not my tendency. I don't enjoy seeing my things, you know, plundered, or ruined, or scratched, or broken. But yet, the writer of Hebrews is saying, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, um, you, you joyfully accepted that. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. And so that, that is, is kind of a, a summary again of much of the book of Hebrews. Comparing the shadow of the past, comparing the sacrificial system of the past, but then bringing and say, Christ is the fulfillment. Christ did it once and for all. We look forward to the city whose foundation and builder is God. So there's great persecution that's going on. Now, what's the spiritual back, backdrop? There are Gentiles named, Timothy being one of them. Timothy uh, is, is, is obviously part Gentile. He was not a, a full Jew, but he's mentioned in uh, the book of Hebrews. Maybe even in, in prison, perhaps, or have, having just been released from prison. Hebrews chapter 13, I believe it is. Uh, maybe verse 23. Says something about Timothy being released so, you know, we're not exactly sure. Does that mean that he had been in prison or was he re released from just a, a duty? But it could be that he's been in prison. But the majority of the book emphasizes and is addressed to Jewish Christians, the professing Jewish Christians. And much of the book is, is challenging these Jewish professing Christians that even in the midst of persecution, don't go back to Judaism. Don't go back to the former way of trying to earn favor with, with sacrifices and these things. Uh, maybe even though that's more acceptable, uh, you're, you're not going to face as much persecution. But don't go back to that. 
Continue to look forward. Continue to look to Christ. Continue to look to the things that aren't always visible. Don't go back to the things that are by sight that maybe would make for an easier life here, but look forward to and and live by the not by sight rules type of living. Notice Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 11. All the way up to Hebrews 10, the first 10 chapters lay out the superiority of Christ uh, as it compares to angels, to Moses, to human priests, uh, to the symbolic yet insufficient sacrificial system. So Hebrews 10 builds up. Now notice now in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 11. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. So referencing uh, the, the symbolic sacrificial system of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, that was pointing to Jesus Christ, who would be the, the final fulfillment and sacrifice. So every, every priest does this, does it daily, can never take away sins. Then notice verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. We saw this even last week as we were looking at the priesthood of the believer. One of the reasons is because Jesus uh, fulfilled and finished the work of the priest as our great high priest. Now notice Hebrews 10 and verse 35. Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. That's future looking. Okay, what is promised? For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live how? By faith. Not by sight, not by what seems to make sense, not by by what's easier, but the righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Similar ideas repeated in Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But then Hebrews 10 and verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. That's a little bit of the, of the historical backdrop and the spiritual backdrop. Now let's begin to kind of dive into this chapter and see some of the contrast. Next week, Lord willing, we'll look more specifically at some of the individuals and how they exercised, how they did that. Today you'll get kind of a quick overview, but the next Sunday, Lord willing, get a little bit more specific. Notice this, the contrast in the hall of faith. Action versus profession. Action versus profession. And this is true in other areas of life. Uh, someone, you know, it's, it's very easy as you get a group of kids together, maybe on a playground or whatever. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm awesome at football. Okay, show me. Oh, man, I, I'm super fast. I could beat everybody in the class. All right, let's do a race. So it's action versus profession. What, what's going to be acted out? So notice with me, true faith is a result of God's grace, not of your works. This is foundational. This is not a chapter saying, okay, you've got to do, do, do in order to earn God's favor and to to have this type of faith. It's all about, you know, just doing stuff for him. First of all, grace is a result of of God and not your works. Hebrews even says this, Hebrews 11, verse 6. Again, without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. 
And then back a few chapters, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Again, the challenge in the context is to those Jews who are professing to be Christians, don't go back to that which is insufficient. Don't go back to that which was a shadow of the things to come, but hold fast to your confession. Stay firm, stay faithful. Then Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. I praise God for that. Because there are many times where I feel weak. There are many times where I, where I, I wonder, God, am I, the, am I the right one for the job? Whatever it may be. Parenting. If you're a parent and you have always felt like you've got it figured out, I, I either want to talk to you or you're a liar. I, I don't know which, but you know, there's many things in life where we, we recognize, man, that we have weaknesses. And Christ understands that. Our great high priest. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. And this is the beautiful part, yet without sin. Those three words separate Jesus Christ from every other religious leader that has ever lived on earth. There have been great men, there have been great women, but not one could say, yet without sin. Christ stands alone. He's the only one. So what does that mean to us? In verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. It doesn't say, let us then continue to go back to that altar of sacrifice. Let us then go back to those rituals that we do day by day. Let us go back to those religious feasts. No, it says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is in contrast to, to the Jews who were feeling that temptation. They had, they had grown up, part of their culture, part of their, the, of their identity was to follow these religious feasts and do these, these rituals and to put great uh, 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 importance in even the act of circumcision and washing of hands and all of these types of things. And Hebrews is saying, listen, those things were important only in that they were pointing to Jesus Christ, the fulfillment, the Messiah in all of these. So it's action Versus perfection, true faith is a result of God's grace, not your works. The writer of Hebrews and God, the Holy Spirit through that was saying, Jews, don't go back. It's not because of your works. Don't go back to the altar of sacrifice. Don't go back to the rituals. Go run to the throne of grace. And Christ is there. The same message is for you and me. We're not Jews. We're not living in that time frame. But the message is still the same. As humans, we have the tendency of, what can I do? How can I, how can I make it look like I, I deserve this? I'm worthy of this. We're not. So let us run, run to the throne of grace and be confident that he's ready to help. Secondly, under action versus profession, we see letter B, true faith will be manifested by action, not just profession. True faith will be manifested by action, not just profession. We're going to see, we're going to do kind of a, a quick run through of Hebrews 11, but a few verses I want to show you in James, okay? So James chapter 2 and verse 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. 
So understand, when it's talking about faith here, if it doesn't have works, it's a false faith. It's not true faith. Because in essence, James is saying, listen, if there's true faith, there's going to be an evidence of that. It doesn't mean perfection. It doesn't mean that we're always on top of our spiritual world and we're always doing what's right. But there's going to be evidence that Christ has transformed our life. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Then verse 26 of James chapter 2. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. All of us know that there are at least two parts of our body. Now, in, the, in Scripture, we have, there's a lot of different descriptions. Soul, spirit, mind, body, you know, all these. But there's at least two categories. The external, what you can touch, what you can see, and then what's inside of me and inside of you that gives you life, the immaterial. So just as if those, you know, in the same way that those two things have to be together for life, faith has to have this this life of of manifestation, of works, of of living out what is faith producing, what's hand in hand. Let's see this in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 11. But first, a question. Does your lifeology match your theology? Theology basically just means what you believe about God. So what do you believe about God? Think through some of the things. You say, yeah, I believe the Bible teaches this about God and this and this. All right, well, does your life show that? Does your lifeology match your theology? Thought just interesting, Tony Evans said it this way, faith is acting like God is telling the truth. Instead of saying, well, yeah, yeah, I, you know, I know that God says this, but I can't really figure out how. Well, faith is saying, God says this, he's telling the truth. I may be fearful, I may have doubts, but with God's help, and as he works through me, and as I allow the Holy Spirit to lead me, I'm going I'm to have active dependence on him. I'm going to follow. I'm going to take steps to, to serve my master, knowing that he's in control. We see Abel, he, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Enoch, in Hebrews eleven five, By faith, Enoch pleased God. Noah, Hebrews eleven seven. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark. We see Abraham in Hebrews 11.8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called, called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. Verse 9, by faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. We're going to touch on this again, but just, just think about this for a minute. God promised him to make of him a great nation and that all the land that he could see was, would be his. But he's living in tents. He's living as if, as if this is temporary. So it, it has to be not by sight rules type of living because it hasn't been fulfilled yet. And actually in reality, we're going to see it never was in his lifetime. He continued to look forward, continued to believe the promises that God gave him. 
Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Then verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Now again, we're going to look at this more closely. Just If you're not familiar with the story, just know that he didn't kill his son. God does not call us to, to kill our children. Thank the Lord. Sometimes we feel like it. But God doesn't call us to actually do that. But yet, this was a test. You know, Abraham, I have promised to make of you a great nation. This is the descendant of whom I'm going to work through. Okay? Offer him up. What? How is that? But it says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Hebrews eleven twenty three. we see Moses then. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. His parents acted upon their faith. They, they, they believed there, there must have been some understanding that God gave them that this son of yours is special. This son of yours will be used of me for some special purpose. The Bible doesn't really give us those details, but they, they weren't afraid of the king's edict, and they, they hid him, not knowing, not, not living by sight, not knowing what would happen, but they did that out of faith. And then verse 24, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Hebrews eleven twenty five, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Some of you kids have what's called the Action Bible. It's really cool. It's neat to read through and see some of the main stories of Scripture. But whether you have a kid's action Bible or you hold in your hand either a paper copy or a digital copy, the Bible is a Bible of action. Hebrews 11 is full of verbs, full of by faith did this, by faith did this, by faith did this. It's very clear the contrast between action and just profession. And I hope that you won't look back at these, well, yeah, yeah, that's Moses, that's Noah, that's Abraham. What about you? What about me? If I say that I believe God, if I say that I have faith in him, how does my life show that? Does my lifeology match my theology? Do I show that? Do I evidence that? Not to gain favor, not to gain grace, but as a result of that, I'm showing my faith through the works for Christ. We continue on. There's a few more. The people of Israel, Hebrews 11 and verse 29. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Because of our familiarity, it's easy to think back on those things like, oh yeah, that's really cool. The waves went up like that and walked across. Not so cool if it's the first time you've ever done that in your life. You're like, okay, how long will these waves stay back? You know, maybe the last few were like, I'm going to run. I don't want to be the last ones. Don't you want to be faster than the ones behind me? But by faith, they, they, they stepped across and they, they went across and they, it looked like they were trapped. It, by sight, man, there was no hope. But not by sight, God's still in control. How are we going to, I don't, what, here, right now. Boom. Okay, stepped across. 
Now, what about Rahab? Hebrews eleven thirty one. By, by faith, Rahab, and I love this in a, in a way because the Bible doesn't gloss over her past. The Bible's very clear about what Rahab's past is, but the Bible is also very clear about how the transformation of Christ and God changed her, her faith in Yahweh, which Christ the Messiah is the fulfillment of and is, the great I am. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient. Why? Because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Because by faith, she, unlike the rest of the city of Jericho, believed that, boy, I've heard of this God that you as spies are coming to to scout out our, our city. I've heard of this God, and he is the one that I believe in. He's the one that I have faith. He's the one that, that seems to be the, the ruler and the powerful one. And she gave a friendly welcome to the spies. So we see that all of this is... Action versus profession. But then two, we see not by sight rules living versus by sight rules living. So not by sight rules and then the by sight rules. Let's first start with the not by sight rules. And again, we're just going to kind of run through. And I'm going to point out some of the phrases in Hebrews 11 that remind us uh, this, this wasn't easy. These decisions were not easy for them. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things, What? Not seen. Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. We look outside and we can see part of God's creation. I'm looking at Kennesaw Mountain or part of Kennesaw Mountain right now. I can see trees, I can see some clouds, I can see other things, plants that God has created. And all of that is a daily reminder God made all of that out of things that were not visible. We see also in Hebrews eleven six: Without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. You can't schedule an appointment with God in his office. You can't say, hey, you want to go to Starbucks? I mean, in a way, we, are always, we can always be with God, but it's not, it's not the type of thing where I can reach out my hand and feel another hand take mine and say, hey, God, good to see you today. So, so it's, it's, it's someone that I, I can't see, I can't, I can't touch per se. Obviously, by faith, those of us who are followers of Christ, we believe that he exists. But it's by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. But not only that, and that he rewards those who seek him. So it's not just this nebulous belief that, yeah, there's, there's, the, there's the big dad up in heaven. There's this big, you know, big guy up in heaven that, that's doing something. No, he desires a relationship with us. For those who seek him, there is a relational aspect Hebrews eleven seven by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. Hebrews eleven eight by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. Verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of, of Egypt. Why? For he was 
looking to the reward. He couldn't see it. He didn't know how it was going to play it out, but he was looking forward. It was not by sight rules living. Then in verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible, not seen. Now by contrast, what about the by sight rules living? The very first pair that's mentioned, there's a stark contrast. We, have, we see Abel and Cain. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Now we'll look at this in a little bit more detail uh, next week. But if I had been a writer of Scripture, I don't think I would have started out this hall of faith with someone who died. By faith did this. Oh, and by the way, he's murdered. So just, just so you know, from the very beginning of Scripture, the gospel has never been presented as the prosperity gospel. Never. So lest we think, man, if I just had more faith, I can do this. If I just had more faith, I'll get a better house, a better job. My health will be, all, be, all be well. All my relational problems will be gone. Well, seems like there's a pretty big relational problem here, so much so that Abel lost his life. But yet to this day, we still read about the legacy that he left behind. In Genesis, we read a little bit more, and there's, there's still some things that aren't quite clear, but it, it, it appears that there must have been some type of instruction, some type of understanding about the offering, or at least the heart of the offering. Because as Abel and Cain, and Cain came, and you can read this later in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, we won't read for time, but as Abel and he came to present their offerings to God, God said, you know, I'm pleased with Abel and his offering. I'm not pleased with Cain and his offering. Now, I don't know, it's, it's, it's not included in Scripture. We do know that as Adam and Eve sinned, their very first attempt to cover their nakedness was sewing the, the leaves together. But then God, there was a blood sacrifice and, and even an indication of that, of the great Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who would take away the sins of the world as the Messiah. That blood sacrifice was then used, the, the skins, the, to clothe them. So perhaps there had already been an understanding that part of your offering to God needs to be blood sacrifice. I, I'm not sure exactly. But we do know in Genesis, God says, I'm pleased with Abel and his sacrifice. I'm Cain, I'm not pleased with you. Or your sacrifice. And became very angry. And God says, you know, listen, why, why are you angry? If you do well, then, then, you, then I will be pleased with you. And then shortly after that, Cain, in the field with Abel, kills his brother. What's the commentary on this? We see this in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 12. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. There certainly was a lot to do about everything that was going on in Cain's heart and his mind, his motives perhaps, his thoughts. 
And the commentary is, listen, Cain's heart was wrong. Abel's was by faith. Cain was living the by sight rules. Then we see Abraham. Abraham is in, in stark contrast to his nephew, Lot. During growth groups, some of you will read a, a longer passage and you'll be able to identify some of the differences of Lot and Abraham and the not by sight rules living that Abraham did and the by sight rules living that Lot did. But we see in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance and to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Then notice this back in Genesis chapter 13 and verse 12. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. You're going to see in growth groups that as, he, as Lot looked about, the deciding of where am I going to put my family and my livestock, he saw that the valley was well watered. He saw that it was a great place to live. He's like, that's where I'm going. Abraham, have fun, man. Thanks for giving me the first choice. I've made my choice, and I'm, I'm headed towards Sodom. Even though in the passage we see in Genesis chapter 1, it says already, that Sodom was full of wickedness. King David chose to live by sight rules when he made decisions with Bathsheba and then even killing Bathsheba's husband. And those caused painful, lifelong consequences. Was he forgiven? Absolutely. Did he have lifelong consequences? Yes. Judas betrayed Christ because he was living by sight rules. He, he thought Jesus was the political Messiah. Perhaps maybe he even thought that, that kind of forcing Jesus' hand, Jesus would kind of rise up as the political leader. He was, he was only seeing what he thought the Messiah would be instead of the, the spiritual Messiah and Redeemer who would come back again later as the ruler of the world. He was living by sight. Peter would live temporarily by sight rules. When he was standing around the fire, Jesus had been taken away. He was asked, do you know Jesus? No, I don't know him. Do you know him? Of course I don't know Jesus. Do you know, do you know this man, Peter? And he, he cursed and says, no, I don't know the man. Well, he was living by sight. Because that, that wasn't quite the atmosphere where it was like, yeah, yeah. I mean, Jesus, yeah, we're, yeah, I'm, I'm a follower of him. And lest we get too hard on Peter, how often do we do that? How often do we conveniently kind of let Christ be in the background? Now, this, this is a new group. This is a new job. This is a new school. This is a, these are kind of new. I, I don't want to say a whole lot about Christ. It's living by sight. Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5, chose to live by sight rules. They sold their land. They, they came before the, the apostles and said, listen, we're giving everything to the church and to the Lord. Everything? They lived by sight. They wanted to keep back a little bit. The sin wasn't necessarily in keeping back some. The sin was lying about it and indicating we, we're giving it all. They chose to live by sight. Now, what does this mean to you? I'm not Ananias and Sapphira, certainly not David. 
I'm not these guys and, and, and ladies, you know, in the, in the hall of faith. Well, individually, you will face choices this week and most likely today of whether you will live by sight rules type of living or not by sight rules type of living. And like a new pilot as is in the airplane, the tendency and everything within you may be screaming, look around. A new pilot, you know, look, look to, can, can you see anything outside of the cockpit? Can, can you see where you're navigating? Instead of saying, okay, it's not by sight. I can't figure this out on my own, but God can, and I'm going to follow him. I want to be ready to obey him. The Lord makes it clear again in the Hebrews eleven six: without faith, it is impossible to please him. Forever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that it rewards those who seek him. Hebrews 11, 1, we already saw that now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. But individually, I want if you miss everything else this morning, I want you to get this. The most important, not by sight decision that you will ever make, many of you have already made this, praise God, but some of you have not. And the most important, not by sight decision that you will ever make is to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. Jesus himself said to Thomas, he actually knew. Now this is, this is, I'm not trying to be eerie here. I'm not trying to like be, you know, uh, have, have like smoke going. I'm not trying to do anything weird. But Jesus is all-knowing. And when Jesus said these words to Thomas in John chapter 20, almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus knew that on this morning, February 4th of 2024, you would be in the room and I would be here sharing some of Scripture and these same words of Jesus with you. Here they are, John chapter 20, verse 28. Thomas answered him and said, My Lord and my God, prior to this, we know oftentimes, unfortunately, we call him Doubting Thomas. Many of us would have been the same place. But Thomas said, listen, I won't believe until I see, until I can put my fingers in the, in the scars, and I, I know, like I want to see, I want to feel him. And when that happens, Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Notice what Jesus' response is in verse 29. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That Jesus said over 2,000 years ago, and it's meant in part for you that are here this morning. And you're saying, I, I, just, I just can't see yet. I just can't figure it all out. I just don't have complete certainty. And I, I pray, and this is no manipulation. The decision needs to be totally yours. And in God's timing, we want that to happen of your volition and of your will. But Jesus said that knowing that you would have that struggle. And saying, blessed are those who don't see yet believe. Then verse 30 of John chapter 20 now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written, why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, and that by believing, that making this faith decision, that living not by sight rules type of living, that by believing you may have life in his name. 
as much as it appears around you that life and certainty is only in what you can see, that the Bible reminds us in Jesus Christ and his life and all those that have followed him since are, are reminders of that is not what life is all about. Life is so much more about that that we cannot see, namely, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Peter would say something similar. Notice this. I love, uh, this is so cool how he says this. First, first Peter chapter 1 and verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I'm just going to tell you personally, God has, has blessed us with many, many dear friends throughout the 47 years of my life, including you. And I'm very thankful that there have been people that have physically given me a hug, physically sat next to me, physically cried with me, physically called me or sent me a text. And all of those have been super encouraging. But I will tell you that some of the most comforting times in my life have been alone in a way, but with Jesus Christ, who I know is with me. Can I see him? No. Do I now see him? Nope. But man, I can lift my voice even in the darkest nights and the hardest times, and I can say, Jesus, thank you that you're here. Thank you that you walk with me. And boy, we desire and pray that if that hasn't been your experience yet, that soon you would accept him as your savior. That's individually. But what about corporately? What about as a church family? One way that I want to encourage you to do that is be intentional about prayer. Be intentional about this active dependence. There are a lot of things that aren't by sight right now. So, so, what, so what do we do about that? I would encourage you, and I, and I want to be, this is a very fast kind of summary. So, so please, if you're not familiar with fasting and praying, please do further study. Talk to me later. We, we, I don't want to give you the wrong teaching and instruction about this, but corporately as a church, I want to encourage you to think and to consider fasting and praying. The next 10 days, not for 10 days, but pick a day, pick a meal, but let's spend some intentional time in saying, God, there's coming a time where it's really not by sight for One Hope Church. But we want to look to you in faith. Jesus fasted at times, Luke chapter 4 and verse 2, it says here, for 40 days being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. I've not attempted to fast for 40 days, and I have no shame in saying, Jesus he's my hero in so many ways. I I don't know that I could do 40 days. Christ warned against fasting for the wrong reasons. Matthew 6, verses 16, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. In essence, Jesus is saying, if you fast just so you can kind of publish that and have people feel bad for you, that's your reward. I mean, that's, that's it. That's the only reason that you fasted if, if you do. It doesn't mean that nobody can know that you're fasting, but what is your motivation? Is it to say, yeah, yeah, 
I'm fasting because I'm pretty spiritual. Maybe one day you'll be like me. No, it's to say, I'm looking to God. I'm not, I'm not anybody special. This isn't to, you know, to make you, know, you feel sorry for me. But notice, be thinking about your motive. When you fast, verse 17, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. One of the goals in fasting is seeking the Lord's wisdom, not our wisdom. Part of active dependence is we are already and have been, even before you know, the news, we're always trying to be aware of you know, where, where are other possibilities that One Hope Church could meet? What are some long-term uh, possibilities for the church? And even more so, since finding out a few weeks ago that it's May 31st, you need to be out, at least for the summer months, maybe beyond, we don't know yet. But we are, we are looking, we're making calls, we're sending texts, we're sending emails, we're driving around. So that's part of the, the active, but the rest of it is, God, um, we, we can't make this happen. So we're praying for wisdom. James says in chapter 1 of verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generous, generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. We see fasting in the experience of Esther. And Esther said this in verse, chapter 4 and verse 16, back in the Old Testament, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast against the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Esther asked for others to fast. So I'm just asking you to consider this. If there's medical conditions, all of that needs to be taken into consideration. Okay, I don't want to visit you in the hospital because you fasted too long or shouldn't have been fasting. But pray about this. There are several ways to fast. It may not be skipping an entire meal. It may not be missing food for an entire day. But there may be something that, that you really enjoy. Sweet tea for me. Maybe chocolate for you. But if, if you can't fast for a meal or for a day or, or whatever time period God lays on your heart, maybe take that. 1 Corinthians 7 indicates that that is a way of fasting, of abstaining from some pleasurable activities. 1 Corinthians 7, specifically it talked about uh, sexual relations between a husband and a wife. It says don't refrain from that from one another unless it's for a period of prayer and fasting. Then come together again. So there's, there's evidence and there's some examples of that in Scripture. But whether you fast or not, I would, cons- I would pray and ask that all of you would pray intentionally. God give us wisdom. Not, not just Pastor David wisdom. This is, this is a whole church thing, friends. Amen? Good. I'm encouraged. <laughs> First I was like, well, maybe it's not. Maybe it is all on me. Of course it's not. This is the church family. God has called us to be here. He has led. He's provided. So we can fully trust God has a plan. It was encouraging. I was with a college student uh, just the last a week and a half ago or so. And he looked over and he says, Pastor, God's got this. I'm like, amen. I keep telling myself that. I, I, I want to believe it. And he does. But I want to encourage you for the next 10 days, February 4th to February 14th, at 1 o'clock, pray for one hope. That God would give wisdom. It, it, maybe it's to continue meeting here in the fall, if, if the school allows that. 
It may be another meeting place. Maybe it's a tent like Grace Church has used for 10 months. I I don't know. But at 1 o'clock, I would encourage you for the next 10 days, make an intentional effort to pray and to choose not by sight rules living. 